You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, friends. It's Emma here. Um, your podcast feed might look a little bit confusing this morning because there's not one but two episodes that have been released in the last, well, few hours. Um, We put out a very quick episode last night because I managed to get the Director of Compliance and Information at the HFEA on the phone. I essentially spent 10 minutes asking her when IVF treatment in the UK is going to resume. She didn't answer, or she didn't give me a date, but she did kind of give a little bit of guidance so if you're somebody whose cycle has been cancelled and you're not sure what's going to happen next it's definitely worth a listen um if not listen to this episode it's also really great either way enjoy hello you're listening to bfn this is the podcast about ivf infertility and the trials of trying for a baby I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hey! Welcome to the episode! May, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, Yeah, yeah, I was a glum because I read the newspaper this morning. I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, and then I had some pancakes with maple syrup and bacon, so now I am much greatly cheered. Sounds like your Sunday morning has been a roller coaster ride of emotions. It really has, man. It really has. Um, but now I'm at the top of the peak, so I'm I'm happy. Cool, um, cool, cool. And yeah, I'm good. Uh, what have I been doing this week? So um, I've got a slightly funny Corona-based story. It's not actually that funny. It's just weird. So okay. um, I don't have any clothes at the moment. I haven't bought clothes for ages. I need some new clothes, right? This is the sitch. Right. Um, right. So I ordered some clothes from Zara. And um, and uh, they arrived. So it had an email saying they've been delivered. And I was like, no, they haven't. So I looked at the email and it showed me a picture of the package that had been left in my um, porch. Uh, I don't have a porch. And it was my old workplace. And oh. I was like... Oh man, I don't even work there anymore. And funnily enough, no, neither does anyone else because obviously the office is closed. So I was like, uh, fuck, that's really fucking annoying. Um, and I just, later that day, I text my mate who does work there um, and was like, oh, you ne- never guess what I've done. What a douchebag. And she was like, um, dude, I'm I'm around the corner. Like I've, I'm on a walk and I'm around the corner from the office. I'll go and grab it. I was like, oh my God. Mate, what? What, are the, what are the chances? She doesn't live near the office. Neither do I. What are the chances? That's amazing. I know. It's, it's like you had a psychic connection. 
I know it really was um and uh so yeah so then I did nothing for two weeks because I'm uh stupid and then I texted the other day and I was like mate 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 I'm gonna uh, you know I've worked out how to come to your house to come and get the package like when should I come and she's like dude I've got coronavirus uh and I was like what do you know like when someone you know like you just I, I don't know about you I just don't really think that someone I know is going to get it. Like, I feel like, I, I know a few people that have had it, but not yeah. really. And I was like, I was just quite shocked. I shouldn't be shocked. Loads of people have it. But yeah, I was just My like, friend's husband got it, but she didn't get it. Interesting. Same, yeah, same with me. Yeah. Quite um, impressive. Yeah. But so, yeah, so that's, my... Um, that's some epic social distancing happening internal social distancing that is incredible how do you even do that this poor girl is she lives in a flat share um so Ooh. she's quarantined in a bedroom she's not allowed to leave the room oh, um Susie, if you're listening get well soon uh, oh. not just because i want my clothes um just because i want you to be healthy um yeah so god coronavirus <laughs> fuck off yeah <laughs> fuck off corona so at the beginning of this year, I made a kind of a um, a resolution not to buy, or like to really minimise the number of new clothes that I buy. Mm, that's a good idea. Style rather than buying. I can't remember what the hashtag is. Anyway, um, I really need some new jeans. I, um, yeah, just, I honestly needed new clothes, like to practical reasons. Um, I don't mm-hmm. have anything that is good for the, the summer weather. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I was just like, I'll just do a small little shop, you know, drop a, drop a, drop a hundred quid. It'll get me through the summer. Yeah. No, it won't. Because <laughs> oh, it's mate. an elephant and castle. <laughs> and I can't get to it. <laughs> um, oh, yes, yeah, fun times. Bad. What have you been up to, mate? Um, not really anything. So I've got, um, <laughs> in my house, I've got a bay window on the first floor. And I've really taken to just sitting there staring at people. It's a beautiful bay window, I'm, I can confirm. Yeah, I'm just obsessed with just like watching what goes on on my street. And no one ever looks up, so you can really have a good nose. Oh, nice. That's really good. have a good nose at people. Yeah. Um, which is how I spotted one of my neighbours, who is heavily pregnant, having a fag. A fag? A fag. Uh, and a th- oh my God. we are not. Look far be it from me to judge other people but I've had that thing basically that thing has come back where I get a bit jealous of other people being pregnant Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to come back so soon I to be honest I didn't expect it to ever come back Mm -hmm. but I I don't think yeah I I don't know I mean I don't think that ever really goes does it I think there's something so because it was such a I wouldn't say trauma, but like seeing pregnancy announcements all the time when, yeah. you're, when well, you're really trying, it impacts you so much. I don't think, yeah, I think you're always going to have this weird thing, like even if it's unconscious, it's like, Ugh! yeah. What shall I tell you what triggered it? Go ahead. Um, do you remember my old friend, Delicious Liella? I do remember your old friend, Delicious Liella, yeah. Who got pregnant at the same time as me. Your prego twin. But, yeah. And I basically thought, automatically thought, well, that means I'm not having a baby. Because she's going to have have the baby, the only baby that's available at that time. At that time, yeah, that's famously just, how it works. Yeah, and I just had a bit of an insane moment where I went, I just, I don't know, I just lost it. Um, 
I've since listened to a podcast with her and she's a really nice person and very smart and business savvy and I just want to put it out there that she's nice yeah but also beef you're not starting some sort of I'm not I don't have beef with rivalry no and some of her recipes are very good do you partake of her energy bars I do yeah, because of yeah. aforementioned dairy issues. She's yeah. actually one of the few like go to snack options if you're if you're like somewhere and you're hungry. Yeah. Anyway, um she is pregnant again. I mean that's pretty quick. Yeah. Um and I lost it again. Mm. I did not this time think, well, she's having a baby, so I'll probably never have another one. Or, no. nor have I decided whether I want another one no like whether I want to go through IVF again because I'm not sure I do but I still lost it because brains are funny things aren't they they really are man there's no yeah. rhyme or reason um yeah. but it, I mean it is frustrating isn't it because it's like wow you know she's she's pregnant again it's not fair yeah. so I saw this neighbor of mine having a cigarette in her swimming costume with the big pregnant belly. And again, I lost it. And again, I have no right to judge other people and how they behave. But I just, she's got a lot of children, this neighbor. And now she's having another one. And obviously she's so casual about her kids. This is how my brain went, that she can just have a fag. Yeah. And I got annoyed. And then I had to give myself a talking to. I th- yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you're right. You don't. We don't want to be judgy of other people's life no. choices. However, that is very annoying to see. It's it's just always a bit of a shocker to see as well. Because you don't. Um, it's not a common thing to see, is it? Thankfully. Yeah. It's just. Do you know what it is? It's just another sign that all that stuff that you have, all that stuff that infertility creates, it just doesn't go. It's a trauma that you mm. go through, and it doesn't just vanish. No. No, definitely not. Um, so yeah, so I've had quite a philosophical week thinking about that kind of thing. I um, have you watched Unorthodox? No, but I've heard it's really good. My mum told me to watch it. It is very good. Um, yeah. It's interesting for me because I used to live in Stoke Newington, which is um, a area with high density of unorthodox, unorthodox, orthodox shoes, <laughs> um, and then unorthodox me. Um, we were like the only ones on the street that weren't pretty much, which is quite funny. So it was interesting to watch it. And yeah, so obviously there's a storyline that this girl's trying to get pregnant and it's like, oh my God, that is intense, huge expectations. And the guys aren't really supposed to masturbate. So that makes IVF a bit tricky, I believe. Anyway, shall we talk about the show? Today's episode, you've been chatting to a professor. I've, I've been talking to a very nice professor um, about endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Finally, we're only three series in now. Yeah. It's taken us a long time. It has. Um, we've lit- I, like, this isn't through want of trying. We've been trying for months to get somebody on to talk about endometriosis. Turns out I was going down the wrong route. So we, I ended up getting this interview by contacting the Royal uh, College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They are really helpful and nice. Thankfully. Yeah, so they referred me to Professor Andrew Horn. He's a professor of gynaecology and reproductive medicine at Edinburgh University. He specialises in endometriosis. He knows everything there is to know about endometriosis. And he's a very nice man. Fantastic. Well, that is a fantastic interview. Yeah, really good interview, really good chatter. This is such an interesting episode because it just really highlights how endometriosis is like a 
thing that we really don't understand at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've been trying to get, I mean, my constant messages to Lena Dunham to come on the show have been largely ignored, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think Alexa Chong as well is another celeb that's come out of and admitted to, admitted to, has come out and, um, yeah, and said that she has it. So, we're going to continue to try and get someone to come on and talk about their own endometriosis. Um, meanwhile, on the episode, we have got Liz and Nick. They are meeting some adoptive parents this week. They sure are. And we've also got, obviously, Professor Tim talking about the difference between fresh and frozen transfers. I mean, that's something that blew my mind when I was first starting IVF. Yeah, it is bizarre. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Um. We've had some really nice messages this week about the new format of the show, so thank you and keep those coming. If there's any thoughts you have, you can contact us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. At Big Fat Negative. On Facebook. (laughs) Big Fat Negative. On Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. Or you can email us. Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd also love it if if you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already yes please Um, and if you left us a little review or a little rating that would be amazing we'd love it very much yes um other than that please enjoy the episode yep enjoy hi hello how are you i'm very well thank you how are you yeah i'm all right so what's been going on well uh, we actually met some actual real-life adopters this week. Indeed we did. How did you find it? I, I enjoyed it. They're very nice people. Yeah? Very nice family. Do you want to give a bit of an overview as to how we located these people? What is it, from your dad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know the entire connection between your dad, but your dad knew of someone that was going through the adoption process at some point. Is that correct? Yeah. So basically, my dad um, introduced me to this uh, lady who, uh, her and her husband have adopted uh, their little boy. And when we first sort of talked about the fact that we were considering adoption uh, as a potential way forward for creating our family, um, my dad's like, oh my God, I know somebody. Speak to them. Um, so he basically forced this poor woman to talk to me. Um, but actually, it was really helpful, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think when you say forced, I think they're very pro-adoption, not just in the fact that they've adopted, but they're, they're almost... Is activist too strong a word? But more like they're, they're involved in the adoption process for other people. Yeah, for sure. They're definite advocates for... Yeah, that's like, the word I was looking for more than <laughs> activist. <laughs> they're not extremists. Yeah. No, they're definite advocates, aren't they, for adoption? And this is like, as far as they're concerned, a hundred percent how you should create your family. Yeah, but they they said that they they'd gone through other alternative routes before this. Yeah, they had. They but had. I think, from what I gathered, it was more of a going through the motions. But adoption was always the more positive side of things. Yeah, I think from what they said, it was definitely on the cards. Yeah, for them always. So, yeah, so we'd already chatted with them on on the phone and uh, they were coming up to, um, up our way. So we arranged to meet with them face to face and with their little boy. Yeah. Um, How did you feel beforehand? A bit nervous like you are when you meet any new people. 
yeah, I felt a little bit like a blind date. Yeah. Um, it was because obviously, like I said, we'd spoken with her on the phone and everything, and 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 she was really lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was definitely quite apprehensive before I before we went to meet them. Yeah, so I I've never been met anyone in that situation that I've known of. What is in an adopter? Yeah, and you're going there to spe- specifically speak about it as well. Yeah, and I I guess they really felt our nervousness I think didn't yeah. they because they really like to start off with drove the conversation yeah did you kind of like get the answers that you wanted from the like did you find it a beneficial chat I think yeah I think it was very beneficial and it's even just nice to see how they all interact together because they were a lovely little family weren't they oh yeah it was absolutely gorgeous um you know you you wouldn't have known that they weren't you know that they hadn't sort of um, birthed this. I don't know. That's probably not the right term. Yeah. Um, basically, you wouldn't have known any different. No. Um, not that they were um, shy in coming forward about no, it. No, it's part of their life, isn't it? It's part of their family. That adoption's part of their family, and they don't shy away from it. And don't no. think you're encouraged to anymore either. Are no, you? no, not at all, not at all. It was quite weird actually because, like, we were sat in the middle of this cafe, and even though I'm. I'm obviously quite open on my Instagram um, and I chat away quite merrily. I generally do it in the privacy of my own home. Yeah. Um, and talking about it, at not a whispered level, no. in the middle of a cafe, I was really conscious. But it's good that you can do it. You shouldn't have to whisper it in the corner. No, that's I the, know. That's the whole point. But I just, I was just, yeah. I felt quite self-conscious when we first got there. Yeah. Definitely. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you bring it up to people in work and stuff. Yeah. So, like, you're better. I think it's, it's you know like the whole thing of control the laughter at you. That's what I always felt. Sometimes I think it is. You just can, if you bring it up, you're in control of the conversation and yeah. the information. Yeah. I guess I hadn't really looked at it that way. So, and most of it, and I, and you bring it up to people I get on with. As a normal part of life, and I just, just sort of normalise it, just to sort of do it. And I'm, it's not um, feeling sorry for myself or anything. It's just this is this is what we're doing. Yeah, I suppose if you, like you say, you're in control of the narrative, then aren't yeah. you? Yeah. I have never thought of it like oh, that before. No. You've opened my eyes. Good. <laughs> Free your mind. So, um, was there anything in particular that you'd hoped to get from this conversation? I think. It's just a real world picture of what it's like, and I think they're very, very much almost best case scenario. That's how I'd imagine it from my point because it, you know, they, and I think that's how I would want to do this. They got him when he was very young, mm. and. Yeah, it's all worked out very nicely. Mm. It seems that obviously it's only a brief conversation with them. They could, uh, it could, they could feel differently, but I didn't get that vibe. They were having a great, great old time. They, they, at present, they don't seem to have had any problems, like that were brought up in the meeting, the information evening. No, so, you know, there aren't any major sort of behavioural issues yeah. or anything like that. Um, and, yeah, I think you're definitely right. Like, they've been 
very fortunate in the fact that they have um, just adopted a really lovely, sweet little boy. Yeah. And, you know, he's, as far as they're concerned, you know, they tr- say they treat him like they would any other child, but I don't, I don't really mean it like that. I mean, you know, they've, they've normalised his, his upbringing, haven't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't know. I, I didn't f- come away from it feeling like I had more answers than I had from the information evening, I guess. You didn't? No. Um, it was really nice to meet with them and nothing that they said sort of, or nothing that I witnessed kind of made me think, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely adoption is, is for us. Um, it was just like meeting another norm, like like nice family. Yeah. Um, I think there were a few things that they said that kind of, I don't know, didn't sit comfortably with me. I don't think. And what were they? Um, just obviously, you know, they're talking about expanding their family and very much coming at it from, like, almost the other side. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, the side of success. Yeah. And, you know, kind of one of the comments, as you know, from their perspective was, well, um, we wouldn't ever um, go back as in, you know, if we wanted to expand our family, then adoption is definitely the way that we would continue to, to want to yeah. do that. Um, but I think, like you said, they've had a really positive and successful adoption, um, which was lovely to see. But it almost felt like, um, I don't know, like, I'm probably not explaining myself particularly well, but I think I think it was the, the wording that she used in that, oh, there's so many kids that need that need to, you know, adoptive mm. families, that need forever families. I just couldn't, in all good conscience, not grow my family that way. And I think I... I didn't feel judged, but I definitely felt, like, a bit stung, I guess. Because, obviously, we're still thinking about whether or not that's the right path for us. Well, I think from their point of view, they're trying to show people how successful and how... Well, good adoption is can, mm. and can be, mm. and not necessarily to limit yourself by IVF, and you're not going to have necessarily any happier experience from IVF than you would adoption. I think that's their outlook on life now, and especially. But, but obviously, they've gone through the stages of um, trying IVF themselves, mm. and then deciding to go for adoption. Mm. From the sounds of it, they've, they cope with it very well and very matter-of-factly when they were told they couldn't have children themselves. Yeah. And they need to, and they've, they were quite happy to move on. So they're coming from, from a different headspace anyway and everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think their experience is very different to ours. Yeah. And... Um, I don't, I don't know, yeah. I guess I guess you want the people that you meet to sort of almost agree with... Yeah. Not agree with your perspective, but, like, you know, be on the same sort of, like, wavelength as you. And as yeah. much as, you know, like I said, they were really lovely people, um, they are, like you say, they cope, you know, they made that decision virtually ha- having had, um, you know, one unsuccessful round of IVF and they just cut their losses and they moved on. And I, I guess I was almost a bit envious of them. Yeah, I think I can get that. 
I mean, because I think you, you just want to have that decision firm in your mind what you want to do. Yeah. And it's just, you know, nothing at the moment is really, like, I don't know, it's not really swaying me one way or the other, I suppose. Um, and, and I want to make sure that we're giving both options, like, equal consideration, because I think that's fair and that's right. Um, but it's really hard to, like, still, I just don't feel that kind of emotional connection with adoption at the moment. And I don't know why that is. But then I wouldn't necessarily that I feel that emotional connection with donor either. I, I, well, I can. I feel more of an emotional connection with adoption because I can see parenthood. Yeah. So I can see what the goal is yeah. and what you're getting from it. Yeah. Donor egg at the moment feels like more IVF. Yeah, which and it is. I'm. I was like the the, the guy yesterday. That, yeah, I, th- I don't find IVF a positive experience. No. It's a necessary evil. Yeah. To go for it, and I understand why we need to go for it, and and that's not me saying I don't want to do it anymore, but it's. I can't get any emotional connection to it because it's a medical procedure at the moment. Mm. So I think that's I think probably is why I sort of look positive, more positive at adoption because I can see the goal is parenthood, and that's what that shows me. Yeah, I get that. Whereas all the all the um, information you have about IVF and donor eggs is the scientific. It's very clinical. Yeah, very clinical. So you don't, it's no like, they don't talk to you about being a parenthood parent afterwards. So this is, this is not much mentioned. The family It's very much, this is what you need to do. These are your options. These are the costs. Mm. This is what the procedure is where I come in. Yeah. I think you've always struggled a little bit with the clinical elements of it, haven't you? Like, we've um, been to a few Fertility Network meetings um, together because, you know, again, we were searching for um, a a firm, visible support network, I guess, um, you know, beyond, obviously, the internet. And when we had speakers, I I found that really helpful um, to kind of be given the facts and the and the figures but you always really struggled with that clinical element of it didn't yeah. you I, I i know my medical conditions i don't need to be told of them again yeah and some speaker i think it was some speakers were better than others i just remember one that seemed to zero in on what my issue yeah and was really quite negative about it and yeah. that upset me yeah which is fair enough because you already i've already gone through that before I didn't really need to go for it again. No, like you, you like you said, you you know, um, as far as you know, what like you've had that emotional experience of yeah. being told and having to sort of process. And it's hard not to feel guilty about it. So when another medical person, it felt if that particular one felt like I was being judged, yeah. I know he wasn't judging me. But it just get, leads back to those feelings of guilt that I can't do something that I should be able to do. Yeah, well, I get that. Because, I, you know, I, I feel exactly the same way. Um, sorry, we've gone on a bit of a, a negative tangent <laughs> here. Um, but I think it's important to, to sort of talk about 
maybe that's why you have such a negative such negative feelings towards IVF because of the clinical element of it because you don't you haven't had positive experiences of in clinical environments it, well, it isn't it? That's it. all we've had is um we haven't been successful no no so i'm sure if we are successful it'll be a different you'll not think about fondly for it but it'd be like yeah it was all worth it yeah, exactly, exactly. And at the moment, we still don't know that. Whereas, like you say, with adoption, you see, you know that at the end of it, there is that that parenthood. There, yeah. there is that family, virtually guaranteed, really, um, unless you've done something really, really, really bad. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're still we're still not sure. I think I need to see more of the worst case scenarios for adoption. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need to have that sort of more rounded view of it. View of it. Yeah. Could you say if you had to decide tomorrow, which way you'd lean to? I think so. What would you say? I think I'd go donor. Yeah. Yeah, but then I, I still I think that is because I haven't felt that physical connection, that that emotional connection yet. You know, like I said, it was lovely to see the family yesterday. Um, but it was still... I don't know, I just felt quite removed from it still. Okay. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why that is. I always thought, actually, that I would be the other way around. That I would be very emotionally connected, very emotionally invested in wanting to bring a small person into our family who, you know, who could give us what we needed, but also we could give them what they needed. Yeah. And I just don't know if I'm there yet. Well, that's exactly what you're doing with donor eggs. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, this is why we're doing this, I suppose, isn't it? To, yeah. To try and suss out where we want to go. What about you? Do, if you had to say tomorrow, what would your preferred option be? Probably the other way. <laughs> ah. I did feel a bit of a, like... I, I did like the scene. I did like the, the, the family. Yeah. But then I haven't... I've always said I don't really care how it happens as long as it happens yeah so I wouldn't be like if if you didn't feel that emotional connection is adoption then it wouldn't I wouldn't be like tragic I wouldn't be in tears and I'll come my way I don't want this I don't think it'd be a deal breaker no it wouldn't be a deal breaker it just we just I'd be really happy just to have a child mm. so so if Dana gets gets us there I think mean, the issue I had it doesn't as long as it doesn't matter to you, but I always felt like if IVF didn't work for us, if we can't have a child that's both part of me and part of you, then why not just adopt? <laughs> this is this, this is the question. This is the question. But I think yeah, maybe we just need to explore it further. I know there's that all the surroundingness of pregnancy and. The, the connection you would get of a child from there and knowing that you could be more in control of the development at that stage. Yeah. That's all really important. I was also a bit, the whole, when they said 50%, I thought it was going to be, I thought, no, we're doing this because the chances are 70%. Yeah. But is what it is. Yeah, and I'm not saying, you know, just because today I think you know, I'd probably go that way doesn't mean to say that I've made up my mind. No. 
And all of I, I've, I've only seen the good side so far. So that's our mission, really, is to try and get a better, more rounded view. Um, and next week, uh, we actually go back to our IVF clinic. In fact, uh, we've got our follow-up appointment. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. We've got our follow-up clinic, uh, appointment with the clinic next week. Um, so we'll see what their thoughts and suggestions <laughs> <Can't>. are. <laughs> I always think it can get any worse, but they always come and surprise me. Yeah, so watch this space <laughs> and uh, we will update you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For, for being part of the show. We've been meaning to do this for such a long time. Pleasure. Yeah. Good to meet you. So I'll start kind of, you know, right at the top. What is endometriosis? What can I mean, we're told it's, it's bits of womb lining outside the womb, but I don't really understand how it gets there. Endometriosis is a, a chronic pain condition and it's mm-hmm. defined by the presence of uh, tissue that's like the lining of the womb outside of the womb. Okay. Most commonly on the lining of the pelvis but it can be also found um, on the ovaries, causing cysts within the ovaries. um, Or it can even be found on the bowel or the bladder. And the problem is that this tissue outside of the womb uh, behaves differently and it can lead to very debilitating pain. Um, And the condition itself can also be associated with difficulty getting pregnant. Why does it cause pain? A very good question. Mm. We don't really know why endometriosis causes pain. Uh, We think it's because the uh, disease when it's outside of the womb uh, develops its own uh, blood and nerve supply. Um, So that in in itself can lead to pain. Uh, The lesions outside of the womb also um, cause inflammation, they cause scarring, that in itself can cause pain. And then the, the disease itself can also, it seem, have an influence on the, on the nervous system, both the peripheral and nervous system, um, leading to pain, not just within the pelvis and where the lesions themselves are, but also outside of the pelvis, 
Um, and that's why endometriosis can sometimes be associated with other conditions like migraines or fibromyalgia. I was actually going to ask that question because a, a friend of mine was saying that she, whenever she gets it, she gets real bad pain in her legs. So th- that could be for a number of reasons. It could be because, as I say, because of damage to the nervous system mm-hmm. more, more generally, or it could be because uh, a lesion, some of the disease is sitting uh, near a nerve that's running um, into the leg. Um, or it could be because if you've had pain for a long time, you become more sensitive to pain elsewhere in the body. Okay. So anybody who suffers with endometriosis is going to kind of kill me for asking this question. But how do you know you don't just have quite bad period pains? Well, I always say to uh, patients or, or people who think they might have endometriosis is that if they have pain that's interfering with their quality of life, with mm-hmm. their ability to work, with their relationships, that's not normal pain. Um, And that's when they need to go and seek help. And uh, they need to then ask their general practitioner, their doctor, um, to investigate them for the condition. Yeah. And um, I mean, diagnosis is something a lot of people have trouble with. Um, Are there there any other symptoms that that are associated with it that could would make a doctor say this is definitely endometriosis? Um, we we all uh, say to, to patients and, and to, to, to doctors who are perhaps less familiar with endometriosis that when a pain has what we call a cyclical pattern, so it appears at the same time every month, and that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily need to be when you have your periods, that could be in the middle of your cycle or at other okay. times, uh, that's a, what we call a red flag symptom for endometriosis. So that should then alert the doctor to investigate you further. Now, a few months ago, we spoke to one doctor who said that endometriosis should be diagnosed based on symptoms. You shouldn't require scans. Is that is that something you can do? So the, the definition of endometriosis is the presence of the, the endometrial, uh, the womb lining like tissue outside of the womb. And that can sometimes show up on scans, particularly mm-hmm. if it forms a cyst. Um, but to be able to actually properly see it, you really need to do surgery, which is laparoscopic or keyhole surgery. Okay. However, the symptoms of endometriosis, as I said, if you have cyclical pain, very severe period pain, pain with sex, sometimes pain opening your bowels or your bladders. Um, so that can strongly indicate that you might have endometriosis, but really to get a, a proper diagnosis, uh, that needs to be done by a surgery, and that's a, a keyhole surgery. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, I've, I've spoken to one person who had a scan once and um, was told that it was completely clear and she was fine, went back for another scan and was told that she had very severe scarring on her uterus. How, I mean, how is that possible? So it's, it's very difficult often to diagnose endometriosis on a scan unless it forms um, quite extensive disease, right. either uh, what we call nodules of endometriosis or it forms cysts on the ovaries. Uh, but the commonest type of endometriosis is uh, very uh, diffuse, uh, small areas of disease, which is often widespread on the on the lining of the womb, and that doesn't mm-hmm. show up on scans. So it's possible that a, a patient might go for a scan, perhaps in a less experienced person, and that disease might not show up. So okay. um, sometimes it, it is worth going for a second opinion if you... Um, feel that you're not being uh, given the appropriate care or the appropriate diagnosis. So if you're going to your GP 
um, should you be requesting a laparoscopy referral straight away or, or, you know, is a scan okay in the first instance? We've got very good uh, guidelines for women with suspected endometriosis in the UK, which are set out by uh, NICE. Um, and NICE suggests that anyone with suspected endometriosis should have an appropriate history taken, asked about their symptoms, uh, an examination and go, go for a scan. And then if endometriosis is suspected, it's very reasonable to try uh, a simple treatment for endometriosis for the first few months, for example, mm-hmm. um, painkilling medication or hormones, which can often be very effective to su- suppress the symptoms. Okay. If, if these work and if the, the patient is, is happy with this approach, that's perfectly reasonable to continue. But it's in situations where these simple measures uh, don't work. And in these uh, situations, I think it is important that the patient is then referred into secondary care to discuss whether or not they want to proceed with a laparoscopy to further um, investigate and and often treat their pain. So that was going to be my next question. Is is there a cure for endometriosis? Sadly, there isn't a cure for endometriosis. There are a number of women who... Uh, get significantly better um, either with uh, surgery or with medical management and medical management involves Uh giving uh, treatments which uh, stop the ovaries producing oestrogen because we know that uh, uh, endometriosis is an oestrogen dependent condition. Uh Uh, Unfortunately both of these approaches um, don't always work in the longer term and we know that women who've had surgery to remove the disease um, up to 50% of them after five years will have a recurrence of their symptoms. Okay. And we also know that in women who have medical management, with uh, usually with hormones, um, that about a third of them uh, will not be satisfied with this uh, treatment approach. So we're really crying out for better uh, treatments for uh, women with endometriosis. So what is excision surgery? So there's a lot of discussion about surgery um, on, on social media. Okay. Um, and... Essentially, what you want to do is try and remove all of the disease that you see at the time of surgery, if this is possible. Um, And that can either be by excising it, which essentially means cutting it out by whatever it means, or it can be by destroying it. And that can be with laser, can be with diathermy, which is burning it away. And there's a lot of discussion about which is better. And we don't really know which is uh, the better um, approach. And sometimes... um, Certainly, my my opinion is you need a combination of both approaches because clearly um, cutting or destroying something near the bowel or the bladder could have Mm. an impact on the function of your bowel or your bladder. So it's really important that the surgeon is um, experienced in endometriosis surgery and uses the most appropriate and safest approach. Um, And also, I wanted to have a quick chat about the language because... you know, when I was going through IVF, they said they found an endometrioma on my ovary. And they said, I said, well, does that mean I have endometriosis? And they went, oh, well, technically, yeah. And I, I didn't really understand what that, I mean, what what's the difference between the endometrioma and endometriosis? So endometriosis is unlikely to be just one single condition. So endometriosis, I think my feeling is really an umbrella term for different subtypes of disease, Okay. which may have different uh, what we call etiologies so they may be caused by different uh, things different genes Uh, at the moment we think there are three subtypes of endometriosis one is called 
uh, peritoneal disease. So this is the disease that we see on the lining of the pelvis, which is often very uh-huh. difficult to see on scans. The second type is ovarian disease, um, which forms cysts on the ovaries, which are also called endometrioma or chocolate cysts. And then the third type is what we call deep disease, uh, which often form, forms nodules near the bowel or the bladder. Okay. So if you have an endometrioma, that's a sign of one of the types of endometriosis. Yes, an endometrioma is, is endometriosis. Good to know. Hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Well, obviously we are a fertility podcast. Um, so I wanted to move on to, to its effect on fertility. You talked a bit about sure. the, the treatment there, um, one of them being hormones. Obviously, if you're trying to get pregnant, you don't want to be messing with your hormones. Um, mm. h- how does it affect fertility? And is there anything you can do to kind of improve that effect? The first thing to stress is two-thirds of women who have endometriosis will have uh, no problem getting pregnant. So I think this is something I always stress when I'm telling a patient for the first time that they have the disease, because it's often something that's at the forefront of their minds. Um, The second thing to say is that that in those women who do have trouble uh, getting pregnant, um, a lot of the treatments that we use, for example, IVF, can often be very effective. So... Um, I think we always try and be as reassuring as possible to women uh, with the condition. In terms of treatment, you're quite right. Hormones aren't an effective treatment for women trying to conceive. It used to be thought that maybe giving, you know, a six-month treatment of of the pill would would then help people become pregnant when they came off the treatment. That's definitely not the case. Um, And so the options available for women with endometriosis are either to have the disease uh, removed, um, and if they have peritoneal disease, that often responds very well to surgical removal of the the, uh, disease, and these women then go on to um, get pregnant without any um, help. Um, Women who have endometrioma, deep disease, will often require IVF treatment. And again, mm-hmm. this can often be very uh, successful in this group of women. So we do try and be very positive. But clearly also, sadly, there are some women who, um, despite these interventions who have endometriosis, still struggle, struggle to get pregnant. I mean, if, you know, you've, you've explained that it's outside your uterus. So why does it prevent you from getting pregnant or prevent some people from getting pregnant? That's a really uh, good question and something that uh, certainly there are many researchers trying to um, understand throughout throughout the world. Um, so one reason is that that tissue, as I say, causes inflammation. So it may be that it, that inflammatory environment um, prevents the embryo from forming properly, um, from embedding into the lining of the womb and developing uh, as a normal pregnancy. It may be that the tissue um, affects the transport of the egg or the embryo in the fallopian tube, mm-hmm. um, or it may be that it affects the quality of the, the egg itself that's produced from the ovary. So there are a number of different theories as to why it might cause infertility, but uh, the truth in the answer is we, do, we don't really know, and it's, it's one of these questions that really needs answered. And what about miscarriage? Is there an increased chance of miscarriage if you are a sufferer? Yes, um, and this is this is largely based on data, what we call epidemiological data, so mm-hmm. data looking at large number of uh, women and, and following them up 
um, over the course of, of many, many years. Um, it does seem to be that you do have an increased risk of uh, miscarriage. Again, we don't fully understand uh, why that is. And how increased is it? I know, I know our listeners all want numbers. Yeah, so the estimates at the moment are that it's increased between uh, two to four times. Um, but these are based on populations of women. For example, there's a very uh, nice study that I was involved in, in in Scotland, which looked at this, and then another population of women based in the States. So you have to interpret this data with caution because it may be simply related to that, that population that was studied. But it does certainly look as if there is an increased risk. Okay. And I mean, if you are trying to conceive and you are trying to reduce your symptoms, is there anything that you can do that's not kind of medical management? Is there anything you can do about your diet or do more exercise or anything like that that you can do to reduce your symptoms? It's a good question. So we tend to use a number of um, alternative or offer a number of alternative strategies in our service that are used for other chronic pain conditions. So you're quite right. Um, exercise can often help with painful symptoms. Again, we don't fully understand why. Uh, sometimes changing your diet can be helpful. There are a lot of diets that are said to be specifically for, for endometriosis. I would question that. I think what's important to do is to look at your own diet and try and remove things or add things and see if that has any impact upon your pain rather than necessarily uh, follow something um, that's specifically set out perhaps on the internet because a lot of these things don't have an evidence base. So just um, avoid forums. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, there are um, other uh, treatments that people find helpful that are used in chronic pain like mindfulness, uh, complementary therapies like acupuncture uh -huh. um, can sometimes be helpful as well. So it's partly about working out what, what, what helps you and, you know, ensuring that none of these uh, treatments are going to cause you any harm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I've got one more question. Pleasure. Um, and that's, you know, if, if people are suffering, um, is there any kind of hope that you can offer them? Is there, are there any studies or is, is there any potential treatment that's in the pipeline that may be available at some point soon? Well, in Edinburgh, um, I'm fortunate that I have a, a fantastic uh, team of researchers uh, working with me. And over the last uh, three or four years, we've been trying to understand why women uh, develop uh, endometriosis, in particular, the peritoneal subtype of disease. Um, and what we've shown by looking at samples from women undergoing uh, surgery for endometriosis and also developing uh, laboratory models of endometriosis is that women with the condition seem to have uh, cells which behave metabolically differently within the pelvis mm -hmm. and produce um, excess amounts of uh, something called lactate. And having uh, noted this and, and shown this um, in our uh, laboratory studies, uh, we then uh, have been looking at uh, treatments which have previously been tested in cancer, which are able to revert the cells back to normal metabolism and reduce the amount of lactate in the pelvis. And we first okay. tested this in a, a mouse model of endometriosis, and we were able to show that these mice who had this uh, treatment um, then uh, developed le a fewer number of lesions within their pelvis and we're currently testing this um, in patients. We've got a study that's running in Edinburgh that's been running since Christmas time. Um, unfortunately it's had to stop because of mm. uh, COVID-19 yeah. um, but we'd already registered eight uh, patients on this uh, new treatment. So obviously this is early days and we'll still need uh, 
further uh, work and further studies, but we're very excited that this could be potentially a new treatment for endometriosis. And the beauty of this uh, treatment is it's not a hormonal treatment, so um, we'd anticipate that it wouldn't have any impact upon fertility. Fabulous. So there is hope. Yes, I, I'm always uh, the, an optimist, and I, I really hope that in my lifetime we see um, better treatments and even a cure for endometriosis. Okay, well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. real pleasure. Thank you. Now it's time for IVF. What the F? And what the F is the difference between a frozen and a fresh transfer? Yeah, I, um, I like literally, when my clinic was like, well, we do fresh fresh transfers and we do frozen transfers it's your choice I was like what but then after because I did PGD Ah. I wasn't actually to be honest I wasn't given a choice because um they had to send off my little embryos to be tested as far as I'm aware the way most clinics work is that you you kind of you have to have a fresh um fresh transfer if 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 everything is is all right and that's what you can do Mm -hmm. they they very much encourage you to have a fresh um, yeah, and then obviously you have frozen. If, like me, you have risk of OHSS, or like Emma, you have PGD testing, and mm. um, but yeah, it's kind of. I think we wanted to know because there was some research coming out, wasn't there, about whether which was better, um, and whether there is yeah. a difference in that. I I I just think from a patient's point of view, it's about timing, isn't it? Like you just want to get on with it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think much. everyone is a bit disappointed when they they find out they have to have frozen because you're just like but I want it back in me now yeah absolutely um so we asked professor Tim what he thought we did so clearly the traditional approach in IVF is to make fresh embryos put the best embryo back and and maybe freeze some spare embryos there is an approach where all embryos that are made are frozen so you don't have a fresh transfer and you then come back and have the frozen ones put back one at a time. This is called a freeze-all approach. And there's been quite a few studies recently reported regarding fresh versus frozen. Um, in general, I think it's the study suggests that for women with normal ovarian reserve, so normal AMH, regular cycles, or even with low ovarian reserve, there's no advantage in planning to freeze everything. So the best approach probably is to go ahead with a fresh transfer. And if you're lucky and there are some spare embryos left over, then by all means, freeze those for later use. The situation may be different for women with high ovarian reserves, so PCOS or very high AMH. The studies that have been done in those groups of women suggest that perhaps because of the, the higher hormones they have at the time of egg collection, embryo transfer, that perhaps freezing the embryos and then once things are settled down after a few weeks, coming back for a frozen cycle may improve the success rate by a few percent. It may also, I think it does also, reduce the risk of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome or OHSS, which is the main side effect or main risk of IVF. And certainly women with PCOS and a high AMH are more at risk of OHSS. So therefore, a freeze-all approach may be beneficial in terms of a slightly higher percentage success rate and also a lower risk of OHSS. A downside of a freeze-all approach, though, is unsurprisingly, it delays time to pregnancy. 
So there are some sort of pros and cons both ways there really. And I think, again, it's a, it's a time when um, your local clinic, your clinic will have their own view on fresh versus freeze all approach and have a discussion with them. And I think sort of take their guidance uh, on that. And that's a wrap. <laughs> a chicken um, wrap. That's a chicken wrap. <laughs> I would love a chicken wrap right now. Would you? It's like number 578 on the list of things that we can't do. Mm, yeah, the other day I was like, I just really want a Twix. I just want a Twix. But I can't just run to the shop and get a Twix. People on my street run to the shop and get a Twix. Do they? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I try not to In do groups that. of three or more. Oh, no. Come on, guys. I know. I know, I know. Um, um, so. Big love to Liz and Nick. Big love to Liz and Nick. Big love to Professor Andrew Horn. Yeah. Big love to Professor Tim Child. Big love to Peanut. Uh, big love to the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists for setting up the interview. Big love to all our listeners. Yes, and big love to Acast for hosting. Oh, just love all around, guys. Yeah, so much love. Um, next week, we are talking about cancer and infertility. It's an we emotional are. one. It is. It's like, it was, a, I think, I that interview, we did it back in July. Get your Kleenex out, basically. Yeah, it was, I mean, just one of the most kind of honest, brave interviews we've done. Mm, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so back yeah, with that one next week. To that one. Yeah. All right, guys, have a good week. Stay safe. Stay safe. Love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.